If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Hi y'all, I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. And today we're continuing our wellness exploration of dealing with trauma and difficult emotions. I'm telling you, this conversation is going to be liberating AF, so you don't want to miss it. And at Craig is Cool in Canada, I can't get this party started without giving you a shout out. Thank you so much for this recent rave review. Quote, Joe is so easy to listen to and her messages are relevant, progressive, and packed full of information. Watch out. You may develop a crush on this beautiful human. One of the industry leaders in my mind, connecting so many health and environmentally conscious concepts. I can't get enough. At Craig is cool. I can't get enough of feedback like that. Thank you so much for taking time to share your perspective. I also want to give a shout out to my two newest podcast patrons, Jen AK and Jason Jenkins. I appreciate you each supporting my efforts to provide this highly responsible cannabis content. I've got some new posts that I've been working on, and you two have inspired me to get that shit posted. I'll do it this week, I promise. So now, today's show, the most important question is, are you ready to get to the bottom of your issues and finally stop feeling like shit? (laughs) It's a good question. And today's guest on the podcast shares an innovative way of dealing with and overcoming the difficult emotions that are at the root of stress, anxiety, resentment, and depression. Becca Williams blends Western medicine with Eastern traditions to help people heal from emotional trauma. A board member of the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine, Becca is also one of just a handful of certified emotional liberation facilitators in the world. Her practice integrates ancient healing modalities that utilize expressive movements, meditation, and breathwork techniques with the judicious use of cannabis. Becca is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and holds educational certificates from Healer.com in Cannabis Core Curriculum, Dosage Protocols and Methodologies, and CBD Essentials in Clinical Application. She has worked for more than two decades as a group facilitator, speaker, and mentor for personal and collective transformation. Becca is also a member of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians and Normal. Both Becca and I are extremely vulnerable in our conversation today, and I'm excited to share it with you. But before we dive in, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, the muscle rub PhD formulated for what aches and pains you. And this week, we'll hear Katie's story of relief. She wrote, I love MJ Relief. It smells so good and works so well. I have had multiple knee surgeries and MJ Relief really helps the surrounding muscles when they are sore. A little goes a long way. Katie was one of MJ Relief's very first beta customers 
over four years ago. She had had a total knee replacement at the age of 35 and used MJ relief during her physical therapy and recovery. The poor thing, I hate to say, has had additional knee surgeries since and is a loyal MJ customer. Katie purchases the pro-size 7.5-ounce tube of MJ Relief. Since she uses the muscle rub regularly, both pre- and post-workout, during physical therapy and massage, as well as for those everyday aches and pains that crop up for all of us. If you're feeling Katie's pain and want some muscle and joint relief of your own, head over to mjskinrelief.com and order a tube today. And I invite you acupuncturists and body workers to become a wholesale partner. Get the conversation started by emailing me through the website. That's mjskinrelief.com. And if you're already a fan of MJ Relief, please send a video or voice memo and let me share your story of relief on the podcast. Or like Katie, you can also leave a written review on the website. And follow at MJ Skin Relief if you're a social butterfly. The Sustainability Roll-Up is presented by OCB Rolling Papers. In perfect harmony with natural sustainable practices, it's always been the OCB signature to provide the highest quality, responsibly sourced, and sustainably crafted rolling papers. And this week, we're talking water conservation. With my recent move to the wine and weed country in northern Sonoma County came announcements of mandatory water rationing. Of the past seven years, at least five have seen much lower than normal rainfall here. The current problem in our area is at Lake Mendocino, northeast of Ukiah. It is the main supply of water to the upper Russian River. And despite conservation efforts, it is falling as much as 58 million gallons per day. To keep it from totally running dry, the state has banned all water deliveries to agricultural users. And a 20% mandatory reduction of personal water use calls for a limit of 55 gallons per person each day. That means shorter and fewer showers. This mane of mine isn't getting washed nearly as often, I'll admit. And I limit my toilet flushing only to when I'm dropping the browns off at the Super Bowl. There's also restricted garden watering and only running a full dishwasher or clothes washer. As a cannabis consumer who cares about doing my part, I've been pondering the most responsible ways to grow our medicine. Because one of cannabis's dirty little secrets is that she's a water hog in the garden. I'll get someone on the podcast soon to do a deep dive on drip irrigation because it's a highly responsible consideration for growing cannabis these days. Drip irrigation, as the name suggests, is an irrigation system that slowly drip feeds your plants. It's a low pressure and low volume irrigation technique that automatically delivers nutrients and water directly to a plant's root zone in a very regulated and precise manner. Drip irrigation is one of the simplest and most effective ways to automate the watering and feeding of your plants. And with the right drip irrigation system in place, your plants will grow fast and healthy without you needing to lift a finger to water or feed them. Instead, you could find other fun ways spending time with those precious ladies in the garden. Of course, a quality drip irrigation system can have a sizable upfront cost. So if you're a hobby cannabis grower on a budget, there's a simple irrigation solution first noted in the Chinese agricultural text of the Han Dynasty, dating back to the first century BCE. So it's kind of been around a while. <laughs> it describes a type of drip irrigation using buried clay pots or olias filled with water. These irrigation pots can save water and make it easier to care for plants. Water seeps through the walls of an unglazed olea by using soil moisture tension. The olea is buried in the ground with the neck of the pot extending above the soil. It is then filled with water, and plants such as tomatoes, melons, corn, beans, carrots, or cannabis are planted around it. 
Magnolias can be put near a new sapling or bush to get it through its first year. And after that, given enough annual rain, the olea near the tree or bush can be lifted out of the ground and used elsewhere. With this technique, water slowly seeps through the porous clay vessels into the soil over the course of several days for up to a few weeks. This method is often referenced as the most efficient irrigation technique in terms of water conservation and can cut up to 90% water usage compared to surface irrigation. Irrigation pots can work with almost any plant but are best for plants with good horizontal root systems. Providing a consistent water supply directly to the root zone of plants has many benefits, including saving time by watering less often. In some cases, three weeks between watering can be achieved. You won't have to ask your neighbors or friends to water your garden while you're away on vacation and then worry if they're doing it right. You can reduce weeds and disease by avoiding top watering. Irrigation plots can improve germination and growth rate. You'll conserve water by reducing evaporation and overwatering, using up to 90% less water than top watering. Irrigation pots work because when the soil around the olea is dry, the soil pulls water through the wall of the clay pot and into the soil. When the soil is wet from rain or has not dried out yet, there's no tension and the water is not pulled through. So you'll never over or under water again. Another benefit is that you can control pests like slugs and snails who love wet environments created from top watering. And they rely on the water to move around. So irrigation pots help to avoid this. And they'll tend to hide around the pots, making them easy to locate and remove during the day. To learn more about irrigation pots and how to use them, I'll include more information in the show notes provided by the California Pot Company, based in Humboldt County, California. David Drazel, the founder, is a ceramic artist and teaches at College of the Redwoods. David produces quality, handmade ceramic wares for the home and garden. The clay and other materials David uses are native to California whenever possible. You can purchase these irrigation pots directly from the California Pot Company or find something similar in your neck of the woods. And if you're looking to support brands that deliver a premium experience while being good stewards of the earth, add OCB rolling papers to your list. OCB offers a full line of papers made with sustainable fibers, including flax, wood, organic hemp, bamboo, and virgin wood. They all come in a full line of sizes in both booklets and cones. No matter which OCB rolling paper you choose, you can be assured all are vegan, GMO-free, chlorine-free, and dye-free. Plus, OCB only uses natural acacia gum for an always-sticks experience, sourced from African fields that OCB has been reforesting for decades. Of course, you must be 21 and older to buy OCB rolling papers and to follow the natural wonders of OCB on social at OCB underscore USA. And if you're ready to master the art of hand rolling your joints, visit OCBUSA.com backslash bait to get four booklets of OCB and a rolling tray for only $4.99. This OCB bundle is worth 20 bucks, but the rolling skills and street cred we'll earn together, my friend, makes this offer priceless. And then tune in to Roll With Me, a video series airing on the Casually Baked YouTube channel, IGTV, and the WeedTube. As for you OGs who can roll a joint while smoking one, I challenge you to sample the entire line of OCB products and let me know your favorite. Ask for OCB wherever you buy your papers. You'll find links to the OCB special offer and the Roll With Me video series in the podcast 199 show notes at casuallybaked.com. Sustaining negative emotions like fear, anger, and resentment can cause physical damage over time. 
To be clear, what I'm saying is you can literally make yourself sick by being pissed off all the time. So instead of hanging on to painful emotions and letting them fester, use them as a guide to figure out what is happening and meet it head on. This podcast is for anyone struggling to move past childhood traumas, old wounds, and grievances. And if you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, or a busy executive, you'll definitely appreciate the insights in this podcast. We talk about what constitutes trauma and how we carry it physically in our bodies, how it can manifest in our everyday lives, and how to finally release it. We talk about the relationship between cannabis and anxiety. We unpack the catch-all term stress used by me and most likely you and every other entrepreneur, parent, and human living on this planet. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lambkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com. We explore habits of high-functioning trauma survivors and examine the many faces of depression. And if feeling better seems to be a roller coaster for you, we discuss healthy integration methods, microdosing mushrooms, and the concept of neural workouts to strengthen your mind, brain, and nervous system. So smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. Toast. Becca, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Ah, uh, thank you, Joe. You know, can I just interject here? First off, I, I just want to say I admire what you're doing, uh, covering the entire landscape of, of cannabis. And oh, my, you know, you're, you're doing amazing work in educating us all about this remarkable plant medicine that's, wow, essentially good for what ails you, right? You know, supporting our well-being in so many ways, whether it's recreational or, or whether it's medical or whether it's uh, my arena, and that is the conscious and intentional use of cannabis. Mm -hmm. yes. So thank you. And thank you for having me on to discuss how my work fits into all of this. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. You know, it's, it's so nuanced and there's so many facets of it that, you know, each episode of this show gets to be just a bite, a little micro dose of the full cannabis landscape, if you will. And I'm excited today because the work you do is, you know, the work of a lifetime and... The fact that research has proven that emotional pain is as real as physical pain, I think that what you're doing is so important to help people live their best life. You know, one of the things that when I was reading your bio, you talk a lot about the dark night of the soul, and a lot of people get there and then they don't know how to get through it. Yeah. So... Can we talk first about how you entered into this space? Yeah. Through the dark night of the soul, I have to say, uh, I wrestled with a lot of dark emotions for most of my life, for many decades up into my 50s. And it was because these difficult emotions um, are tethered to trauma. And that's why. And I had a, a very difficult uh and challenging childhood, 
It was uh, very volatile and unpredictable and oftentimes dangerous. And so as a result of that, I carried a lot of trauma and a lot of anxiety where I would wake up in the morning with anxiety. I would go to bed with it at night and my day was punctuated with it, uh, along with depression and a lot of sadness. I was angry. I mean, things would come up and I would just roar, you know, just just, just get triggered and, and go off. I, I wrestled with that for a long time. And actually, that was how I encountered cannabis in college. I was uh, introduced to it back then and found that I felt better when I was under the influence of it. And so I, you know, I, I never looked back. I just continued with self-medicating with cannabis right through to today, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the things that I had read was you talking about when you were experimenting with cannabis, where you felt much better consuming it alone than when you were in that group setting and dynamic where, you know, so many of us, when we have those first encounters with drugs or psychedelics or things like that, we're in a big group. But because mm -hmm. of the way they work and how they tune us in to what's happening, it can be very overwhelming to consume that way in a group setting. I get very overwhelmed. I don't like to do mushrooms with a big group of people. To me, that is such a personal journey that I, I want to do it alone. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily fit in with everyone's social schedule. <laughs> no question. And, you know, what you're talking about are, the way I see it are two totally different things is the cannabis and then what I call her big sister psychedelics. And uh, the big sister psychedelics you know, the standard operating procedure when you when you do take them is to let them have their way with you. And so that you are not guiding, you are just there and being open to what happens, whether it's a, a good trip or a difficult trip, uh, which can be good, as it said, I, I don't think you need to experience a difficult trip as such, but we can talk a little bit about that uh, later. Um, and then there's, there's cannabis. And cannabis, I find, is very malleable, having studied and, and worked with this particular plant medicine. And uh, she's very um, adaptive to what we want. So what I teach, and we can go into that later also, it's a framework. And so then we add a little bit of cannabis to it, and that helps amplify and support um, being able to meet these emotions, being in touch with the trauma so that we can meet it, greet it, and release it. Yeah. And so I find, you know, in my work that, and of course, I it's very niche what I do, right? Um, because the intentional use of cannabis, cannabis and meditation is something that not all cannabis users or those who are interested in cannabis want to do. Um, yeah. And a lot of people who find me, they will say exactly what you what you just said. Oftentimes, you know, there's anecdotes of where, gee, I was around, I was in a group of people, and they were passing a joint, obviously all before COVID, and um, and I got high, and I didn't want to be in that circle anymore. I left the scene, and I went somewhere, and I just sat by myself. And oftentimes, it's like I sat by myself, and I started crying and moving through these tears, and it was like the the plant wanted wanted me to, to do this. And I really believe truly the way we, we use it in this respect, the often called psycho-spiritual approach. My husband hates that term because he says, when you use psycho, you think of the movie Psycho. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not supposed to use that, but clinically speaking, and I am a, a clinically trained uh, nutritionist, it is termed psycho-spiritual. And when we, um, when we use it at that level, that it really does support bringing up the emotions so that we can release them. And, you know, it's very confusing. A lot of people say, well, gee, when I do cannabis, I get very anxious. Well, there's two things going on. And one, it may be too high THC, maybe too high THC. And so, you know, to be able to dial it back, and I always recommend uh, CBD with the THC and, and like depending on our sensitivity, two to one, twice as much CBD as THC. And, and people, people can still get, get, get anxious. That anxiety can come up. But when people contact me about this and say, well, I, you know, and whenever I do cannabis, I get anxious. And my first question is, are you anxious usually? 
when you're not under the influence. And categorically, Joe, they come back and say, yeah, I have a lot of anxiety. Well, the way that is, the beauty of cannabis is that the anxiety, maybe we will push it back. That's what we do with emotions, difficult emotions. We don't like them, they feel awful, and we push them back. And so the way I used to describe it, it is like the emotion is on breathing like wallpaper. And then when we get high, it comes out. So if we're anxious to begin with and kind of keeping it at bay, when we smoke or when we, when we imbibe, however you do it with cannabis, then it comes rushing out. Well, the rushing out, if we look at it in the way that I do, that is a companion to our work because it brings it right there. It brings it up close and personal. It makes it real for us so that we can work, it, work with it more clearly. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Amen. I love that. And, you know, I I want to talk a little bit about the trauma and emotions because, you know, a lot of people, they don't necessarily understand um, trauma, you know, like it's a, a sliding scale, like someone who might have been, you know, raped or kidnapped, like this is trauma on an 11, someone who may be like me, my parents divorced when I was three years old, and I had a whole new family by the time I was three and a half years old with, you know, being split up in the room that I shared with my sisters to now sharing a room with a brand new sister who happens to be exactly my age and they start dressing us the same. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm a twin. Great. You know, so like that is also trauma, but just in a different lane. So, you know, when we talked about people coming to terms with these difficult emotions you know, how do you help people recognize their trauma? Excellent question. Because in our society, I just need to begin by saying this, that trauma, uh, mental health, they're derogatory terms. And oh my gosh, if, if my mental health is compromised, that means that there's something wrong with me. And our culture is, you know, if you are uh, mentally compromised, there's, you're, uh, you're a throwaway. And so that it, that's, that's the prejudice to begin with in our society. So a lot of times among busy professionals um, who I work with, um, oftentimes they don't even want to uh, talk about anxiety or depression or sadness or anger. It's stress. Uh, it's overwhelm. It's I'm being, I feel stuck. And so this generic, these generic terms where we don't have to mess around with what we're, what, what's really happening with us. In fact, stress is a cocktail of emotions. As an, as an emotions mm -hmm. expert, I know that stress, generally it's a lot of fear, Joe, a stress is a lot of fear. I'm afraid that I'm going to mess up. I'm afraid that this is, uh, it's not going to happen for me. I, um, I'm doing this work. I, I'm an entrepreneur. I, um, I'm running this business. I, uh, gee, I'll never be good enough. I really don't know what I'm doing. I mean, it's just, it can be, um, it doesn't even have to be a low level of worry. It can be very high, but we have to mask it because we don't want other people to see that. So, Going there, knowing that, first of all, some people just, you know, in, in my arena, I know that I am going to appeal to a, a, a certain, what do I want to say, a genre of people who are ready to take it on, who are ready to say, I am sick and tired of this feeling and I want to get to the bottom of it. And I know for me, I looked under a lot of rocks for a lot of years, um, including uh, therapy, talk therapy, including uh, retreats, spiritual retreats. You know, in our society, it's either Western medicine where I'm going to do talk therapy or I'm going to go into the Eastern piece here and I'm going to meditate or do this, that or the other thing. Well, my work is a combination of, uh, of, of both of them. But I mean, I was in, you know, I, I went to retreats uh, for a week and, you know, they say, don't think those bad thoughts, think these thoughts. I mean, that's a, that's sort of a new age idea that's been around for decades now. Don't, don't notice your shadow side, push your shadow side away and think not, think good thoughts. Anytime that comes up, think good thoughts. Well, 
I would do that and I would get out of the retreat and, you know, two hours later or two days later or whatever, it would just come back because it's the, a neural pathway. It is entrenched. And so what we have to do is deal with that neural pathway. We have to rewire our brains in order to create new neural pathways to default to feeling better. And so most all of us have trauma. There's a trauma, there's a spectrum and to a little to a lot. And what you're talking about in regard to your childhood, you know, you were a sensitive child. And of course, we are all, as children, we're all sensitive, yes. but some are more sensitive than others. And where, you know, we might have had great parenting, absolutely great parenting. But, you know, our parents got in a knot. Maybe, you know, they were held, they were, they were stood up somewhere. They had to pay attention to something. They had some crisis in their life. And you were a child in your room and as an infant or a small child, and you were crying and you needed the attention, you needed the holding, you needed the soothing, and nobody was there. Nobody was there for you. That was a one-off. But if you were a sensitive child, it dug in deep. It was a deep hurt. It was a trauma. And so for those, a lot of people have had one-off traumas, as you have pointed out, or going to war, that's ongoing, or developmental trauma like I had. It all varies. And so what we need to do is find a way to, uh, to release that trauma. We know in Western science that this is a, a known fact that it's lodged in the body. It's lodged in the tissues of the body. And the big question is, how do we get it out? How do we get it out? Well, Eastern teachings and practices have long ago figured this out, thousands of years ago with the, uh, with the yogis sitting in caves, meditating for hours and hours a day to go inward. But they didn't put the words on it that we need uh, for our modern day understanding of that. So what we do, and I bring this through with, um, I call it the unmeditation meditation, if you will, because it's not this. It's not the quiet, sitting, um, mindful meditation because, um, oh heavens, there was a, a recent study, 2019, that showed as many as 25% of people who do meditation do not like it. It's a bad experience for them. This is based on the, the quiet sitting meditation. And so what my work is includes is a very active form of meditation that actually hails from what we call the Kundalini tradition in India. And it is very expressive uh, through the breath work. We get the energy going through the physical body and in Hindu leanings, the energetic, the energy body moving through that breath, through the sound, uh, through very dynamic movement so that we can actually stir it up and then uh, release it. And in Western medicine, they're nibbling around the edges, you know, there's going in, somatic listening, but it's slow and there's not a lot happening. And in our busy, distracted society, people need something very dynamic to go in there and take care of it. They, not all of us like to sit like this. You know, okay, let me interject because there are a few things that came up for me in that. Um, one of the things is that, you know, entrepreneurs, people who are, you know, busy multitaskers with families and all of the things, they become high functioning in their trauma. They create stories around it. And when you're only doing this, um, you know, talk therapy method, you can be very convincing in the stories that you tell, you yes. know, and so it is figuring out how to break through the story and, you know, another thought that's coming to me right now is as a journalism student, I used to say all the time when I was writing something, I feel that blah, blah, blah. And my professor was like, we don't feel we believe. There's no room for feeling in this journalism class. And I'm just like, what? That's, that's what I do. And so, you know, you get taught at a very young age to tamp down your feelings, like... I'll give you something to cry about, you know, like that kind of shit. And so it's like being able to meet your trauma and pair practices with the talk therapy so that you can create new stories. You know, it's something that is healing and that serves you versus holding you back in this place of pain and trauma. Brilliant point, Joe. 
And what I need to say about talk therapy is that because I did years and years of it and I would be driving on the way to talk therapy and I'd think, well, what am I going to talk about today? And I would I would think and the, the issue with the talk therapy is that it comes from up here. It's cognitive. And so we can't solve trauma. We can't solve the release of trauma by thinking it through. We actually need to drop in here and do it intuitively. And of course, the big question is, well, how do I get from here to here? And that's what I teach. Yeah. And it's so important. I see so many people that have that, what you talked about, um, the compulsion to be seen. And so in a work setting or in a difficult interaction with a loved one, you know, that comes out as being reactive or pushy or controlling. And, you know, when I see people like that, it's just a huge red flag. I have in a work setting gone over and just bear hugged somebody because I'm like, I can't even talk to you right now. You just need a hug. And just wrapping my arms around at the time, it was like the VP of marketing for the company that I worked for. And she was losing her shit on me. And I just went up and hugged her. <laughs> wow. But it's Beautiful. like, so, you know, how, how do we handle that situation? Well, so uh, there's, uh, I want to just touch base in regard to the, the highly functional uh, uh, traumatized. Yeah. And, uh, and I was one of these. I was a television news anchor. And then I worked for National Public Radio. And I loved it. I was, a, I was a reporter and good at what I did. And I was also a producer and good at what I did. So there is that. I, I enjoyed it. But at the same time, there was a subtext to why I needed to be in that high profile position. And that was because I grew up in an environment where it was very shaming for me. I was told both verbally and non-verbally that um, that I wasn't supposed to be here, that I was an inconvenience. And I was told by a, a step parent, you know, emotionally abusive stuff to keep me in my place that I wasn't particularly smart. In fact, my nickname from a stepfather was the big idiot when I was oh. a small girl. Ouch. And yes. And so it was all about trying to seek, um, to seek validation, to seek approval. And of course, our whole lives as human beings are about seeking approval and avoiding rejection. And I grew up with so much rejection, Joe, that uh, I, I hurt. I had no sense of self-esteem. If there's something as such as not having any self-esteem, I had no self-esteem. And somewhere along the line, someone told me that I had, um, that I had some pretty, that I looked good. <gasps> So there was something to cling to. And so I, I use that, uh, and then, you know, it almost like on, on television and television news among women, it's almost like a beauty pageant, right? Where, you know, you have these, these beautiful women. Okay, so I went into that and, and I was able to prove my smarts uh, along with that too. And it was a continual clawing to the highest reaches of high profile-ism in order to get the validation, the pats on the back that um, that I was good, that I was smart, that I was pretty and creative and whatever. But the dirty little secret was that I had no resources, absolutely no, um, it was self-hating for me. Um, and so trying to take this all the time, just feeding, right? Feeding off of this, uh, this, this adulation, if you will, um, and it would go in and it would go out because I had nothing. I looked at myself as nothing, but I had to prove and pretend to people that I was something. So I was, I want to say, a very high functioning, traumatized survivor. And what this is in, in the emotions uh, world that most people don't understand, and I call it the secret emotion, is that it, that is depression. And we think of depression, when I first encountered this years ago in studying this seven years ago, um, I thought, well, depression is where you curl up into a fetal 
position and just give up, right? I mean, that's depression. It's a deep, dark uh, space where you're just by yourself. Well, there's another, there's expressive and there's repressive emotions. So this was my, my depression was expressive. We call it cold depression, cold depression, where I just have to keep going. I have to keep scratching and crawling my way to seek approval because it's just so awful, so dark to not have that approval. And you'll see a lot of people out there who are go, go, go with this cold depression. And if you, if you scratch the surface and you start exploring with them, yes, it's, it's very much about that, that, um, you know, control, perfectionism, um, being seen, as you talked about, are all expressions of that uh, expressive form of depression. And when you really tune in to yourself, then you start recognizing that very quickly in others. Mm, I mean, no you question. can feel it. You can just feel it off of them. Yeah. But as Deepak Chopra has said in many different ways over the years, and Deepak Chopra being talk about high profile spiritual teacher, is that in order to have social transformation, you must first have personal transformation. So we always need to bring it back. Don't worry about them out there. Let's take care of me here and, and explore what's going on for me, bringing these emotions up to, in order to let them go. And integration is of primary importance. You know, you hear in the psychedelic world about integration. So you have a full-blown psychedelic journey. And then what about integration? And integration is really aligning yourself, kind of an inner compass with what has what have you realized here and taking it out into that world out there, your, your real world. Of course, you know, real can be argumentative. What's the real world? Is it the dream world or, you know, this world here, right here? And so you go out there and nothing has changed out there, but you have changed in here. And so how do you do this? And a lot of my students uh, in working with this um, and realizing this, you know, we can be very evangelical about it, right? That this worked for me, this worked for me. I feel so good. So honey, why don't you do this? Or friend, why don't you do this? Or, or, or coworkers, why don't you do this? And, you know, that's the thing where we just need to, to, to bring it in and just, um, because we start, as you said, we start noticing it in others, but we must first take care of ourselves. You know, this is so true. My sister is a consciousness coach. One of, I have four sisters mm. and one of them is a consciousness coach. And she introduced me to some literature and this idea probably three years before I started practicing it. And it's true. You can introduce the idea to someone, but then they have to go and find it and pull it in for it to become something that they're willing to hear, like actually hear and, and put into practice. And, you know, I think it was 2012 when I really found my groove and it completely has changed my life. And so I'd like to kind of shift the conversation now, since we are talking about you know, we have to heal ourselves before we can go out and heal the community and the rest of the world. So, you know, this solo journey that we're on of healing ourselves and then pairing that with the microdosing of cannabis or psilocybin, um, let's talk through now your um, emotional liberation program. Sure. So in short, I teach people how to heal themselves of difficult emotions and the trauma that underpins them. I think that that's become evident here as, as we've spoken. And my, my work, I, I work one-to-one -one with people and will uh, happily do that. But I have to say my favorite is pairing a consistent group setting, you could call it a therapeutic group setting with, with Eastern practices and teachings, right? And then the Western science that actually endorses what we're doing here and the judicious use of, of cannabis plant medicine. And yes, I have introduced uh, psilocybin microdosing, psilocybin microdosing, very small amounts 
of psilocybin, where it's subperceptive, as they say uh, in the clinic, where uh, you don't, when you're supplementing with it on a, on a daily basis, and there's usually, there's a protocol where a few days on, a few days off, that you don't have any sort of any feeling of hallucinations or psychedelics. You know, I don't, I don't ask my students to do anything that I wouldn't do, just in a digression here, Joe. <laughs> and so I have been microdosing for about, uh, well, a few months now. And what I have found uh, is that it seems that, that colors have been more vibrant um, and, and really, it's about helping people find their sweet spot with um, with the microdosing. Um, I have uh, uh, found a, a sense of a more sense of of calm. Although in doing this work over the years that I have and being a teacher of it, I, I'm pretty much navigating calm centered clarity. But when you are a survivor of trauma, you know, that trauma, of course, again, depending on, on how difficult it was for you, that settles deep, that can settle deep into the fibers of your energetic body. And these plant medicines help help percolate that up so that you can bring it up. And so there have been, again, the shame for me, you know, I come from a long way. It's been a long way. And I'll probably be dealing with it until the last breath on my deathbed, quite frankly. But it doesn't upset me anymore. I'm not triggered and off to the races anymore. It's like, whoa, there's something going on. What is that? And then, of course, I have the practice to go into. But I find that the microdosing actually supports that. And um, and in these in the practices, the neural workouts, as some of my students like to call it, not meditation practices, but the neural workout, because we're strengthening and toning our nervous system and like rewiring that. our brain. So it's a neural workout. Um, what what I find is that just a little a little hit of CBD, like Charlotte's Web, just just launches you, and um, and so it's important for me to be able to talk about that with my students and and how to do it because I wouldn't ask anybody. Um, to do it uh, unless I have, I've already tried it. Now, let me see, where was I going with that? Well, I forgot. Let me that, interject. <laughs> let me interject real quick because I was microdosing psilocybin during the pandemic and it was every fourth day I took it also with niacin and dopamacuna. Those were my, the three that I combined together for that entourage effect I yawned a lot. I moved a lot of energy through the yawning, which was not helpful doing the work that I do. And I also, you know, started to feel uh, an aversion to being on my screen, to looking at the computer. It was like my body wanted me to be out in nature. And so it wasn't working for my work setting. But the thing that I did find was that there would be a lot of aha moments of like a dot getting connected, you know, like something that I had thought about a thousand times, all of a sudden, my higher self whispering a new idea to me around that. And so, you know, I've, I had a lot of, um, I don't know, liberating thoughts, like, mm -hmm. you know, feeling like, oh, I recognize that this person is in my life and our connection is for me to learn unattachment from them. They are a beautiful example of unattachment. And, you know, so just different things like that, that I really appreciated. So my next move, cause I, I just stopped the experiment. Cause I'm like, this isn't helpful being on screen. The latest is I'm going to start drinking it in the evening in a tea versus taking it as a capsule in the morning to see if I can continue it and it just won't have this kind of effect during my workday. So, you know, I think that's part of the journey is to find out how to experiment with it in a way that really works for you because, you know, we're all genetic precious snowflakes. And so what works for one doesn't necessarily work for all based on who they are and what their journey is in the world. Yeah, it's all experiential, but I'm convinced that primary and pivotal to all of this, the cannabis, the psilocybin microdosing um, is the program where, uh, where what we're doing in the emotional liberation program is learning, first of all, this palette of seven difficult emotions that include anxiety, anger, desire, which is about neediness and addictions, um, uh, depression, sadness, uh, grief, 
and self-doubt or, or, or shame. Um, so what we're doing is learning the language of emotions. And then in these incredible practices, uh, neuro workouts, going in cognitively to bring them up and being in touch with them. And it's, you know, I, I sound like a broken record to, to my crew because um, I, I, I tell them 11 minutes a day. You don't have to do any more, but it's 11 minutes a day to continue. So you really need to be in that space to do that. And that's where I'm convinced that the psilocybin is, the microdosing is going to pay off. We've proven the concept with the cannabis, with my, with my group over the last year. We've been doing this for more than a year now uh, with the emotional liberation program. And I believe that we're going to be able to go deeper with, uh, with the microdosing. And, uh, and so it's, uh, it's a personal choice, right? Whether you want to have a framework in which to work with this, or you just want to be very present. A lot of people, again, with the distracted uh, busyness of a life, it helps immensely to have that framework to do this. I agree. And I love that you've created a space for it to be a daily workout because so many people, they make time to hit the gym. They make time to go to their yoga class. But to know that this is important work, this is just as important as your physical health is your emotional and mental health. So creating a framework so that it can become a habit is so crucial. Yeah. Like Brushing your teeth, right? Yes, <laughs> Making please. Making the coffee. I, 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 I put it together like that. And as a clinician, we know that behavioral modification is one of the toughest things in the world to do. And so a lot of it has to be repetition. So in my coursework, I insist on uh, uh, having, we, we do two 90-minute uh, sessions per week. So we do on uh, uh, on one day, we do the cognitive. So people are learning about the emotions. And then the other day of the week, we're doing the practices to take it in so that we can actually bring it together. And that uh, right now, I'm sure that I will cut it loose at some point. But right now, I am there in person and live with my groups so that I can make sure that I, I I keep them accountable to themselves, if you will. Absolutely. And having the vocabulary and the language to talk about it is so important as you not only move through it, but then also when you're trying to um, have those difficult conversations with a loved one, coworker, friend, whatever. So, you know, making that time to focus on really understanding you know, your emotions and how what I'm to feeling. talk about it. Right. Yeah. What am I feeling? Oh, gee, I don't know what I'm feeling. And you know, to be able to bring yeah. it back. And that's the, the issue, isn't it? When we're triggered, somebody says something or does something, or we have an errant thought and we're just off to the races and we get this emotional flooding, this tsunami that comes over us. And it's like, what is that? It just feels, as you pointed out, it's just, it's so painful. It's as painful as, you know, my, my, um, the shoulder that I hurt or the sprained ankle or whatever that might be. And it's there and it's just over us. So what we do is we start parsing out. We start learning the language of that. It's like sitting in a restaurant and you hear somebody speaking French and you don't really know French. You know enough to know that it's French. It's just kind of this jumble of words, right? And then you start picking out the subject and the verbs and all of that. And that's what we do in emotional liberation is start, what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? So we slow everything down and you can't do it from up here. You got to do it from here. Yeah. And once you recognize what am I feeling, how is this different than how I want to feel and the reactions that we typically have when we feel that way, when, you know, we get that angry feeling or we feel not heard, not seen so much time is spent immediately reacting, immediately having something to yes. say, instead of being able to pause, take a breath, feel it, and then react in a different way. Yeah, well said. And, you know, the, the piece about not, uh, not feeling heard or not feeling seen, we don't know why. Right. I, we, we have no idea. And uh, anger is a big deal. Anytime I do a, uh, a seminar or workshop 
um, uh, on, on anger. Uh, I get a lot of angry people. I remember when I <laughs> did this in Denver, I would uh, do live, um, uh, we call them cannabis elevation, uh, ceremonies. And so many times I would have just women, I would have eight or 10 women in the room and they were pissed off yeah, mad and, as hell. And, and they, and they did not know why they were pissed off. And so, you know, we see this on the streets when people are climbing behind the wheel of two tons of metal on wheels and they're just angry, right? They don't know why they're angry, but they're angry and it's just stop and start and yell and scream and throw in the finger. And, you know, so, oh my gosh, it's of epidemic proportions. We don't measure it uh, as a mental illness like we do with anxiety or depression. But let me tell you, it's of epidemic proportions, anger. Yes, it is. Oh, it so is. So if people want to engage with you and explore the Emotional Liberation Program, what's the best way for people to find you? Oh, thanks for that invitation. You know, I make it so simple. Um, I, I mean, I have other social social media, but the big deal is just my name.org. It's BeccaWilliams.org. And that's the portal to my website and everything is there. And I do uh, monthly advanced techniques to strengthen your mind, brain, and nervous system. And that's just free to the community if they want to register for that. Um, and also, I, I do uh, the emotional expansion eight-week program <clears throat> every season. And so right now we just started our, our summer season. You and I are talking in July and then we take a, an integration break, right? So a month long. And if, and if people want to come back, they can do one eight week module where right now we're studying and exploring uh, anxiety and fear and self-doubt and shame. And then we do uh, two of the emotions every eight weeks. We take two months on, one month off, two months on, and we do it, you know, four times a year for the summer of your awakening, the fall of your awakening, the winter of your awakening, the spring of your awakening. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I'm into <laughs> it. You know, making an investment in understanding ourselves, our emotions, how we can move through the world in in a, a more calm and fluid way, how to be in the flow of our journey. You know, that's an investment that will literally change the rest of your life. Yeah. Uh, my husband has a, a lovely way of, of saying it. He says, what price do you put on growing your soul? Um, but having said that, I really uh, try to uh, keep the um, the tuition at a very accessible rate, and I, you know, and I do the auto payments if people want to divide it up, because uh, this is and in groups, so we can, so you know, you're not you're not uh, you know the the amount that you can pour in and invest into talk therapy. Oh my gosh, it mounts up really fast. Or a trip down to the Amazon, right? To, yeah, to, to, to have to your ayahuasca journey. <laughs> That's right. And what I say to people is, I say, stay here. You know, join a great group of people and who are like-minded and what they want is that they want to feel better and they want to live a life of calm centered clarity and so do you so we have these wonderful conversations and discussions and being an emotions specialist as i am i know that groups are hard for people who have anxiety or social anxiety so we do something that people really love and that is everybody picks their favorite mythological or fantasy creature. Um, and, uh, uh, and that's what they name themselves. Uh, that's their alias. And then they pick a picture out. And that is what's shown on Zoom and on, on Slack, which is our one-to-one -one meeting place, you know, uh, between the times that we meet. So we have people like, I'm, I'm looking at names here now, uh, Raven and Phoenix and Unicorn. Uh, Ahmed, Inanna, Thunderbird, and uh, we have a lot of fun with this. And nobody, you know, it's all anonymous. Um, nobody knows your true name um, or sees your face. And, you know, I find that on Zoom, and you probably know this too, that, you know, we might be sitting in a retreat, live in a retreat in a circle. And it's fine, right? Because everybody's there and it's kind of company. But when you get on Zoom with these, 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 
TVs, right? These little TVs and, oh my God, I'm on TV, you know? And it's just uh, paralyzing for a lot of people. So we just uh, even the playing field and no one is seen. Everybody's heard, but nobody is seen and nobody's real name is known. It works out really well. Um, I love that. Behind me, I don't know if you can see here, this is Blaze and Blondie, my oh. dragon and my unicorn. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, oh. I'm like I'd be a dragon, maybe a unicorn. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, we have a unicorn and then we have a uh, a, a dragon, uh, Nephilim. Nephilim, I think it is. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Let's see. Nemeth it is. Have you heard of Nemeth the dragon? I one haven't. Our, I haven't. One of our students is uh, is is Nemeth. It's it's from a a, a video game. <laughs> you know, I think this is a, it's a brilliant way to bring people in where they can dip their toe into this new way of being without being completely overwhelmed because that does happen a lot where people are like, "Yes, I'm all in." And then they freak out on their first time and then you don't get them back. And this is an, such an important lesson for all of us, especially people that want to procreate, you know, <laughs> end the trauma cycle, you know, provide the opportunity for a healthy, clean slate. Like, mm. don't contribute to other people's trauma because you can't deal with your own. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask you that would help round out the convo? Um, I love talking about this stuff. I could go on and on with you forever, I think. And you do it so well, Joe. <laughs> uh, this has been uh, truly a lovely conversation, and I really, I really appreciate it. No, as I earlier said, you know, I have an ongoing event uh, that people seem to really like, and that is that advanced techniques to strengthen your mind, brain, and nervous system. And it's my gift to the community, and you can dip your toe into it. All you have to do is go to my website, BeccaWilliams.org. And you can find it there, or you can inquire about upcoming courses. I have a couple of quizzes. Uh, there's a, what's your cannabis personality? You know, how does cannabis fit into your personal world? Um, so it's my way of easing you into the idea of conscious cannabis, people like that. And I've also uh, recently included a, a quiz about uh, microdosing and uh, is it right for you? Beautiful. So all, at my, all at my website. All right. Thank you. I adore what you do. I meditate every day solo, mm -hmm. but I have um, participated in things like the big quiet. That was a tour that was going around and I meditated with, I don't know, 300, 400 people in this big, beautiful old building. And it is magical to share that with other people. I mean, just mm -hmm. the vibration in our bodies, you're like, you can't deny that we are vibrational beings in a vibrational universe when you participate in something like that. No question. What I find is those one-offs are okay for the time, but they don't do it. They don't rewire the brain. They don't tone the nervous system. That's problem with Western science and the Western medicine approach to trauma is that there's nothing going on to tone the nervous system. And we really need that. That's, yes. that's important so that we can actually have the strength to call up what we're feeling and the awareness that's developed through this work to feel what we're feeling. Because every time it comes up, you know, people go, I've had people, and maybe a, a good portal for you then would be uh, one of my, um, my, my monthly advanced techniques uh, courses, which is, you know, uh, 75 minutes, just to feel it, right? To feel it and go, wow she's saying that i could feel this good all the time if you it's cumulative it's like being in the fitness center in fact the neuro workout came from my men in my course who said you know meditation i don't you know i don't get it done when it's talked about when i have to do my meditation but if it's a neuro workout where i'm going into the fitness center of my mind and so we started calling it neuro workout alternatively and yeah that's that's what needs to happen because and because we can think that way momentarily, but if there is that ingrained neuro network that continually defaults to feeling bad and we're addicted to these emotions, we need to change that somehow because otherwise it's just, quite frankly, it's just fruitless to, I did it, I did it, Joe, for, for years I tried it until I was introduced to this work, this work found me. 
Yeah. Well, and it's so true. And if you think about it in relation to just working out, going on one hike, going to one yoga class a month, that's not going to do anything to sculpt your body. You're not going to see changes. I mean, we have to create a practice for our holistic wellness. So yes, 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 yes. A thousand times. Yes. <laughs> As a conscious creator, thank you for what you are doing um, for the community. And, you know, each time we bring somebody else along on this journey, we raise the collective consciousness of this planet, which um, helps all of us in the end. Well said. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And thanks for hanging out, guys. You may have noticed the synergy between last week's chat with Allie and this one with Becca. And I hope it's sinking in that when you're ready for real positive change in your life experience, it's just on the other side of you deciding to have a different experience. And there are so many plant medicine tools and people ready to assist you on this journey. To learn more about the things we discussed today and to connect with Becca, visit the podcast 199 show notes at casuallybaked.com. Creating positive change is a team sport, my friend. So please help spread the message far and wide by rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen. That helps other Canacurious folks find this highly responsible cannabis content. And continue to submit your Canacurious questions through the website or DM me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and the WeedTube. Thanks for doing your part to Puff Puff Pass It On. Yes, Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network. Network.